Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. David Murrow, author of the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, advises church leaders, if you want to capture the heart of a man, especially a younger man, you have to offer him a shot at greatness. Men will not invest themselves wholeheartedly in any endeavor that does not offer this possibility. What do you think of that statement? Doesn't a desire to be great reflect self-centeredness and pride? And if wanting to be great doesn't stem from pride, but appeals to something God-given in the masculine hardwiring, what does the righteous side of this longing look like? That is our topic in this episode. Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 42 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yagel. This is the second episode in a six-part series that examines the hardwiring of the masculine heart. Last time, we saw that God has designed into the masculine heart a longing for his approval, the same kind of fatherly approval that Jesus sought from his heavenly father. But sin has corrupted it into wanting everyone else to like us instead. This week, we are examining the masculine desire to make a difference, to make an impact that matters. It is this desire for impact that is behind men wanting to be great. Returning to Morrow's thoughts, he says, Every man wants to be a hero, to become a great man. Boys do not dream of sitting in a cubicle. They dream of slaying the dragon, rescuing the princess, and absconding with the treasure. My boyhood fantasy was to catch the winning pass in the Super Bowl. I can't tell you how many times I stretched out my arms and fell across my bed, hauling in that game winner as the crowd went wild in the stands. Well, isn't it sinful for a man to want to be great? I mean, we're created for God's glory, not our own. But let's dig further. God promised greatness to two Old Testament patriarchs. In Genesis 12, 2, God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great. In 1 Samuel 7, 9, God said to David, Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Would God appeal to a sinful, self-centered impulse in these two Old Testament greats? Moreover, Jesus himself appealed to men's desire to be great and showed them how. In Mark 10, when Jesus noticed his disciples arguing about who was greatest, he said to them, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Notice that he did not rebuke them for wanting to be great. I believe that wanting to be great identifies a man's longing to have significance. He wants his heart to be captured by a task that ultimately matters. He is repulsed by the idea of wasting his life. He wants to discover a heart-capturing mission that will demand the best from him, give that best effort, and succeed in his mission. Both the creation count of Adam in Genesis 1 and God's placement of Adam in the garden, Genesis 2, to cultivate it, point to the fact that Adam is created to have impact. 
In Genesis 1, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Let's think about these five commands. God designed humans so that obeying the first three brings great pleasure. Being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth with little image bearers is enormously pleasurable through having sex and experiencing the joy of having little ones. It would make sense in a similar way, therefore, to hardwire humans to find pleasure in commands four and five, subdue the earth and have dominion. To subdue the earth and exercise dominion mean to conquer, to bring under control, to gain or win by overcoming obstacles. We are designed to find pleasure in conquering, in winning, in overcoming obstacles. This characteristic of humans seems especially true of Adam because he is also told by God that he is placed in the garden for the purpose of impacting it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, we read in Genesis 2.15. The Hebrew word translated work it in the ESV is avad, which means to cultivate, to develop the potential of, to cause, to flourish. Here's the point. Adam's unique masculine calling is to spend his energy impacting those around him developing the potential that God has developed into the humans around him, his wife, his children, his neighbor, and developing the potential built into the earth. As Jesus explained to the Twelve, being a great man means spending ourselves so that others prosper, being a slave of all. Men are doers. Men find pleasure by overcoming whatever obstacle lies in their pathway. That is why men love challenges. Overcoming them brings pleasure. Mountains are obstacles in our path waiting to be climbed. Problems are obstacles to be overcome, waiting to be solved. Opponents are obstacles to winning, waiting to be vanquished. Undeveloped potential in our wife and kids is an obstacle to their fulfillment waiting to be unleashed. Past records of accomplishment are obstacles to our further growth, so we determine to surpass them. Overcoming whatever obstacles lie in the way of flourishing brings satisfaction to our masculine souls. But sin has corrupted this good design. First, sin fosters passivity. Instead of exercising dominion over our homes, we go along to get along until there's a fire that we need to put out. Second, sin has corrupted this desire for impact by fostering laziness. Instead of striving to present my bride to Christ as spiritually beautiful, I take her for granted. Third, sin fosters idleness. Instead of bringing up my children in the way that they should go, as commanded, I watch my children grow up, being shaped by others. Fourth, sin fosters apathy for the lost. Instead of realizing that God has surrounded me with lost folks to impact for Christ, I never quite get around to doing that. Fifth, sin increases my anger quotient. 
God's curse upon the ground because of Adam's sin means that reaching every good goal to flourish is often frustrated. And frustration with obstacles that block our goals is a very frequent cause of anger. Sixth, sin fosters workaholism. Success feels so good that it can easily become our God, driving men to have to achieve and invest too little in their relationships. Seventh, the good desire to exercise dominion can cause us to be overly controlling. If, for example, my spiritual success, that is my reputation as a Christian, depends on my children's behavior, I will be overly harsh and demanding. Finally, sin often fosters a complaining heart. The goals that enable me to have an impact can take center stage, and having that impact feels good. But that takes the place of exhibiting Christ-like character, which can't develop apart from irritations and trials. So sin has a lot of ways of corrupting the God-given call to impact the world around me, causing that world to flourish. Now let's think practically about some ways Christ wants us to impact our world. First, we can do that by setting a standard of excellence in our work. J.R.R. Tolkien called man, made in God's image, a sub-creator. He saw the process of sub-creation as a way for creatures to express the divine image in them. Through our work, we are created to be creative and productive, imitating our creator. One organization says work in different forms is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible, more than all the terms used for worship, music, praise, and singing combined. That is what we were created to do. Perhaps that is why Paul urges Christians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The second way the Lord wants us to impact our world is to cultivate our wife's spiritual growth. Rick Phillips explains what our calling to cultivate the garden means for our marriages. He says, Of course, our garden, Genesis 2.15, includes not merely things, but people. Men's calling to cultivate means we are to be involved in the hearts of people placed under our care, people who work for us, people we teach and mentor, and most especially our wives and children. A man's fingers should be accustomed to working in the soil of the human heart, the hearts of those he serves and loves, that he might accomplish some of the most valuable and important work of his life. In Ephesians 5, Paul teaches that the pattern for husbands to follow is Christ, who died, quote, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This tells us that a husband's first concern for his wife should be her spiritual well-being, her relationship with Christ, and growth into spiritual maturity. The Lord wants us to impact our wife's life through our devotion to praying for and helping her be all she can be in Christ. 
The third way our Lord wants us to work the garden is to plant some foundational nutrients into the hearts of our children. Phillips continues, A godly father plants good things in the hearts of his children. He plants, first, the seeds of his own faith in Christ. Second, a longing for truth and goodness. Third, his hopes and dreams for the godly man or woman the child will become. Fourth, his own confidence that the child has all the gifting and capacity needed to serve God faithfully in whatever way God may genuinely call. So cultivating the garden means sowing seeds in the hearts of our kids. The fourth way the Lord wants us to impact those surrounding us is to prepare the soil of our lost friends' hearts for the gospel. Here are three suggestions. First, pray for opportunities to show them the love of Christ and discuss spiritual things. I know from countless experiences that God loves to answer this prayer. Second, ask questions and listen attentively to those around us. The goal is not dumping truth into your friend's heart or prying open a door to do that, but rather discovering their heart through genuine friendship first. So his heart is ready to receive the seed of God's truth. Third, be normal. John Leonard, in his excellent book, Get Real, makes an astute observation about most Christians' mistaken thinking about impacting their non-Christian friends. He writes, Christians too often live under the guilt of not being quote-unquote Christian enough. We all believe that if we were better, people would see the Lord in us and they would give their life to Christ. In our desire to show others how different we are because of Christ, we're not making ourselves any more appealing to non-believers around us. In fact, we are presenting ourselves as weird, strange, and bizarre. So stop it. For Christ's sake, be normal. When we're normal and open about our difficulties and struggles, Christ, in all his power and glory, will come pouring out of our lives. So we need to be committed to having an impact on the non-believers God has planted in our lives to prepare the soil of their hearts for the gospel by building real friendships with them. The fifth way to impact those around you if you're an empty nester is to consider mentoring a man under 40. You are still made for impact, after raising your family or retiring. And there is a great opportunity to have that impact in the life of a younger man. The rising generation of men is looking for connections to older guys who will take an interest in them. On a Zoom call this past week, representatives of this generation reported some interesting things. First, they don't want some structured program-driven kind of mentoring. Second, what they're looking for is older men who will reach out and take an interest in them. Third, they're not looking for men to share their successes, which is good because the main obstacle to older men seeing themselves as mentors is all of their failures. Fourth, the most powerful thing an older guy can do is share his struggles and failures, said one of the millennials. Millennials aren't looking for Mr. Perfect Christian husband and dad. And finally, 
All that is needed is reaching out to us with the love of Christ for a cup of coffee, seeing how that goes, and perhaps reaching out to us again as the friendship grows. So God designed us to make a difference everywhere in the various domains of our lives. When we have that impact, dopamine and endorphins, the pleasure hormones, flood into our lives. But such impact doesn't happen by accident. We risk missing the opportunities God has put right in front of us because it is human nature to get distracted by minor issues. We play trivial pursuit with our lives. We default to pursuing aimless distractions unless we find a way to stay focused on our mission. Focus is the key to real impact, Rick Warren points out. He writes, the power of focusing can be seen in light. Diffuse light has little power or impact, but you can concentrate its energy by focusing it. With a magnifying glass, the rays of the sun can be focused to set grass or paper on fire. When light is focused even more as a laser beam, it can cut through steel. There is nothing quite as potent as a focused life. One lived on purpose. The men and women who made the greatest differences in history were the most focused. For instance, the Apostle Paul almost single-handedly spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. His secret was a focused life. He said, I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. If you want your life to have impact, focus it. this episode, most men dream of greatness, of having a major impact on the world. Such dreams should not surprise us since men are created for impact. That is why God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to transform it, to enable it to reach its full potential, to cause the world and culture to flourish. Sin has corrupted this masculine longing for impact. Instead of manning up, sin causes men to be passive, lazy, idly watching their kids grow up instead of raising them up and become apathetic toward the lost around them. Or sin can go the other direction, causing men to be workaholics or controlling. God wants us to impact our worlds by setting a standard of excellence in our work, by cultivating our wife's spiritual growth instead of taking her for granted, by planting some vital nutrients into our children's hearts, and by strategically preparing the soil of our non-Christian friends to receive the gospel. Empty nesters today have a great opportunity for impact by taking an interest in men under 40 who would love a friendship with an older guy. However, even with a strong drive to impact others and the call from the Lord to impact our world, we will likely miss many opportunities for impact unless we can stay better focused on this heart-satisfying mission from Christ. For further prayerful thought, number one, what can you do to help other Christian men realize that they were made for impact? Number two, which of the above five ways to impact those around you most stands out to you? How can you implement a plan for such impact? This week's past podcast highlight 
is the series Becoming Like Jesus, episodes 8 through 11. These titles are The Foundational Requirement for Kingdom Living, Cultivating a Heart Like Jesus Had, Meekness, a Widely Misunderstood Requirement of Christ Followers, and The Right Kind of Ambition. Next week, we continue our new series, Understanding the Masculine Heart. We will examine God's design of men to be protector warriors. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, please let other Christian men know about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.